Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to Mysteries <laughs> and the Macabre. Hi, Rachel. You're in rare form already. Uh, I'm trying to get the Vincent Price intro that we deserve. Oh, we should have someone make it for us. Yeah, we said that last. Oh, mis- we did. We said okay. that the last time we recorded one of these, and no one hit us up because I did like a really flaming mysteries and the macabre. We just need to splice together. Did I say this already? Yes. I'm having deja vu. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I said you said we need to splice together some Vincent Price right dialogue. Okay, and I said one of our listeners should do it. And they should make it as bad as possible because right. we don't want it to sound professional. No. That would be out of line with who we are. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it, it wouldn't... Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I'm just going to get right into this because this is a doozy of a story. Uh, we are going to be talking about something known as the barbecue murders. And it, it does not have to do with cannibalism like one of our other Mystery and Macabre episode that right. was quite literally a barbecue murder. Right. This is something else. This story, uh, I know that you will find all of the details very hilarious and interesting because this story takes place in my hometown of Marin County in the mid-70s. <sighs> I actually know this story very, like just the very basic. Right. Because uh, one time when I was up there, I drove past where it happened and someone pointed it out to me. And I was like, oh. And uh, when you yeah. brought it up, I was like, I know of, of this story, but I don't know all the details. The details are so I'm excited. wild. Yeah. So yeah, if you don't know, Marin County is basically the suburbs of San Francisco. It's just directly on the other side of the Golden Gate Bridge. And it is, uh, you know, it, it was known as like the hippie enclave. Especially in the 70s. Now it's very wealthy but yes. in the 70s, it was definitely more... Funkier. Middle class. Uh, they had some wealthy areas, but right. it was, was definitely more hippie. Yeah. Like, my dad grew up in Marin County. My mom has lived there since the 70s, like, and it's very... It was very hippie at this time. And a lot of, like, rock stars of the day, like Janis Joplin lived there. Van Morrison. Van Morrison. Uh, Santana still lives there. I used to smoke pot uh, up in this area by James Hetfield's house from Metallica. Yeah. I mean, he's not part of that hippie no. scene, but it's like a lot of musicians live in Marin County. Right. It's like very musician-y, it's I nice. would say. And it's nice. Okay. So this is a story about two teenagers in love. Aww. What could go wrong? <laughs> Uh, the book that I read for this is called Bad Blood. It is out of print, so I had to buy an actual physical paperback copy, like a 1980s edition of it. It's by this <laughs> author named Richard Levine. He's an award-winning author, and he uh, uh, wrote this book. I think it came out in 1981, but it, it was a good book. It was thick. Uh, it was good. And I will, that is where my main research comes from. It was thick and good. <laughs> God damn it. Okay. So 
Marlene Olive was born January 15, 1959 in Norfolk, Virginia, and was adopted as an infant to Jim and Naomi Olive. Jim and Naomi met and married 15 years earlier and were unable to conceive. Naomi's relationship with her daughter was dysfunctional from the start. When Marlene was a baby, Naomi was overly cautious with hygiene. Like, she would wear a surgical mask whenever she was near her daughter. (laughs) Sorry. Very, like, she was like the original helicopter parent. Yeah. And she was obsessed with cleanliness, like keeping everything hygienic. Right. You know, I mean, this was like, it was probably way more abnormal for the late 50s, early 60s. Yeah. Marlene's dad worked in the oil industry, and when she was a baby, Marlene and her family relocated to Ecuador, where they lived until Marlene was in her early teens. While Marlene's relationship with her dad was fairly normal, Marlene fought with her mom, Naomi, often. Naomi Olive had her own problems. She was an alcoholic, and she was an angry drunk. (laughs) I looked at Desi like... I was just thinking, like, does she think that alcohol kills germs, maybe? Because I've done that before. If I feel like I'm going to get food poisoning, I'm like, no I should way. drink some alcohol. That is the drunkest logic <laughs> I've ever heard. I have n- I'm an alcoholic, and I've never even thought about that logic. That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> I love it. Okay. I love it. Okay. So Naomi Olive also suffered from mental health issues. And while the family was living in Ecuador, she had been admitted to a hospital where the doctor diagnosed her as a schizoid personality with paranoid features. Naomi Olive was either overly smothering towards her daughter or neglectful. When Marlene was 10, she found out that she was adopted. And she found out because she was playing in her dad's office and she literally found the adoption papers. That's insane to not tell them by that, that age. Don't yeah, you think? and I mean, it was one of those things where like, well, we go, we're going to tell her. We're going to tell her at some point, but right. they never told her. So she's 10 years old, and she was fucking furious. Yeah. And like, as a 10-year-old, she took that to mean, oh, you don't really love me because you're not my real parents. Right. And my real parents don't really love me because they gave me up. So she's getting some issues right away. Right. At the age of 10. She's, <laughs> she's getting serious issues. So she also had this idea that being adopted meant that she was bought by her parents. Like that was a word that was used. Like, oh, I was bought, like just like a toy. You know, I wasn't, I'm not really a baby made out of love. Well, counterpoint, they wanted you and bought you. (laughs) They The dad actually said that to her. She was like, we chose you. Yeah. Some people don't get to choose what baby they have. Yeah. We We wanted you. We wanted you, but she had her own insecurity problems. Right. So even though Naomi Olive hated living in Ecuador. Marlene lived a good life and was pretty spoiled. Like, they had some money. Mm -hmm. Marlene did not like her mom at all. In fact, when she was in sixth grade, her teacher was pregnant, and the class one day was talking about motherhood and what it means to raise a child. Marlene, unprompted, raised her hand and announced to the class, I hate my mother. (laughs) Which that al- is like a hilarious move. <laughs> which alarmed the teacher. Yeah. Of course. Like right. a sixth grader just being like, I hate my mom. When Marlene would have friends over, this is also really brazen. When Marlene would have friends over, like at this age, 11, 12, she would point to her mother as the friends would walk in the house and go, ignore her. She's drunk. <laughs> Honestly, I had a friend who used to do that. Stop it. Because I would go to her house all the time and her mom was always drunk. Uh-huh. Like she had glasses of sherry all around the house, like half drunk. Like just like she would just pick them up and drink. 
them. I actually loved her mom. But she did die of alcoholism eventually. <laughs> but for, as when I was a kid, she it was, was really. Funny. It was well, I liked her because she was like Betty Davis type. Like right. she would just always like we would be laughing or being like, "Oh, we're so horny for this guy." Like whatever we were watching Bauhaus video or something, <laughs> and she was like, "You guys don't even know what it means to have an orgasm." We're like, "Whatever." <laughs> like she would just always come in with like a one liner and put us down. I was like, "God, I love your mom." It so, was as a kid, like before you really know, like before you start drinking when you're like a young kid and you see drunk adults especially when they're like your authority figures, like your parents or someone else's parents, it's always so like, feels so alien and like weird. And like, it's like, Whoa. Yeah. Like I remember there was this sleepover party. I'll never forget. Like me and my like best friend from childhood, we still talk about this slumber party from when we were eight years old to this day. Cause it was like both the parents got wasted and it was like a big group sleepover with these girls from the class. Right. And, it was like her birthday party, and I'll just never forget this line that the mom who was wasted said as there was all this like un- like present remnants and wrapping paper all over mm-hmm. the floor. She goes, let's just get this shit all out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> it was just the way she said it. <laughs> no, I, I've lived for those moments. Like, like. And like we like... Just thought that that was like the height of comedy. That like her delivery of that line was like so like old. Like something where a parent admits that everything is stupid. Like like, like, like instead of just being like, oh come on kids, like it's like (laughs) it's just so beautiful. Because we know they must be thinking that all the time, like. Right. And then later she said some things that were a little questionable to the girls. You know, like she's like, oh honey, you're gonna be so sexy when you're older. Okay. Anyway, so, but Naomi was not a fun drunk. She was a depressive drunk and an angry drunk. So Marlene was also really combative with Naomi about her birth mother. She wanted answers about her and Naomi uh, would get drunk and angry and she would tell her daughter this all the time. She would always say she was a gutter tramp or she was a whore or she was a street walker and she didn't want you. None of that was true, but she would say it to be cruel and to get a rise out of her daughter. Right. To be like, that's your stock. That's where you come from. And in seventh grade, Marlene began writing poetry as a form of escape. She signed her poems with a pen name, which is suspected to have been a way for her to just pretend to be someone else. Yeah. She had a very rich inner fantasy life, and Uh we'll get to that later. Marlene had ulcers, and her doctor put her on a diet of baby food and Maalox. <laughs> I have never heard of that kind of diet. See? And since this was the early 70s, she was also prescribed sedatives for sleep, sedatives and sleeping pills, as well as Dexedrine for weight loss. Wow. Because she was chubby. So, of course, yeah, let's put the girl who's She's not... She's 12 or 13? Yeah, let's yeah. put the girl who we think is too chubby on speed. Right. And at, at that age, a lot of girls still have their baby fat or whatever. I mean... Yeah. It's, yeah. it's absurd. Uh, but that was not uncommon because mm-hmm. we're going to meet someone else in the story who was also put on speed for yeah. weight loss okay. as a teen. And of course, Marlene, she took a liking to all of these pills and you know it muted her, her traumatic existence mm-hmm. and personal thoughts of her life. And as a result, her grades suffered. Uh, they moved to the States, and when they did, 
uh, I think they moved in 1973, and Jim Olive's work days grew longer, and Marlene was resentful that he couldn't spend as much time with her as he had in Ecuador. She really liked her dad. She hated the mom. And the dad was like very placating to Marlene when she would get in screaming fights with her mom. Like he he would be the mediator and be like, now lady. Like he didn't automatically take his wife's side. Like he wanted to make his daughter feel happy. He spoiled her. So they moved to Marin at this point. They moved to Marin in 1973. And Marlene started acting out when they got there. When Marlene was a freshman in high school, she and her friend were arrested for shoplifting at a drugstore at the Northgate Mall. (laughs) I hung out at the Northgate Mall. I've been there. A lot in the... uh, Mid to late nineties, as a kid, I went to Claire's there. I got my uh, ears. I've gotten my ears pierced there yeah, before. Yeah, like, yeah, that was a definitely a place to hang out in the nineties as a kid, preteen, like that age. Marlene began hanging out with the more counterculture Marin County crew. You know, like the hippies and the Lodies and the metalheads and mm-hmm. like that crew that you like. People what town who, is she in? She's in Terralinda. Okay. Now Terralinda, for those of you who don't know, is definitely on the more northern edges of. It's right Marin. north of San Rafael. It's just. It's like a little suburb. It's like suburbia, just north of San Rafael, and. The thing you have to understand about Marin County is it's a very small county. Yes. But there's lots of little towns. There's lots of little neighborhoods and towns within this county. I mean, like, you should look at it like the county on a map. It's small as yeah. fuck. Okay. Marlene uh, got into, you know, hanging out with these girls who smoked weed and they partied. And she just desperately wanted to fit in with them. And she didn't have a whole lot of concept of, like, American pop culture because she just spent her whole life in Ecuador. So her friends got her into rock music, and she was obsessed with David Bowie. Like, obsessed. And she was really into the fact that he was a chameleon, and he could sort of be whoever he wanted to be. Right. And so... She started dressing less conservatively and more creative and flashy and sequins, and she got platforms. Obviously, Naomi hated it and would call her a whore anytime she walked down the stairs in her in her clothes, or you know, she would be like, "You're dressed like you look like an idiot, like or you look like a tramp." Um, And then she started. Marlene then started calling herself Lady Stardust. Oh, yeah, because she loved Bowie so much. The fights between Marlene and her mother, Naomi, only escalated. Naomi Olive hated Marlene's new look and attitude. Marlene also got really into the occult and, like, woo-woo tarot card kind of stuff at this point. Like, she also got into, like, she was, like, exploring, like, astral projection and um, just, like, those kind of, like, off-the-wall hippy-dippy things, I guess. Um. And I mean, like, whatever, I say this, but like, I literally have like a favorite occult store that I go to and I wouldn't consider myself like into the occult, like, but I do like, obviously. It's interesting. uh, But yeah, so she's into that stuff. And then she starts dating this guy named Larry and he was really into this stuff. Like he knew way more about it than her. And he told her, I'm a warlock. I would never date a guy who said he was a a guy named Larry who says he's a warlock. Come on. (laughs) It's like how many that has 800 red flags just in those two words. Like Larry, the warlock. (laughs) Give yourself a more interesting name. Like Sebastian, maybe. I don't know. Like Larry, the warlock. It's like every guy named Larry thinks he's a warlock. Right. It's like in their DNA. (laughs) 
So Marlene stocked up on occult books and spell books and that kind of thing. And you're going to notice a pattern like Marlene really absorbs sort of like what the other people are doing around her. Like she just wants to fit in with the cool people and... You know, she gets really into this occult stuff because this guy's really into it. And she bought a Ouija board from the mall. Mm. And (laughs) it's a very kid thing to do. She was at Spencer's Gifts. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever Spencer's was in the 70s. Um, And she wanted to be a witch so bad that she was like, oh, no, I am a witch. But she just, that was like her thing at this point. In August of 1974, the wife of the assistant principal at Marlene's high school was found partially nude with her throat slit. Someone had broken into her home and murdered her. This made Naomi Olive frightened enough to install locks and secure her family's home. And as the book Bad Blood says, quote, but when the genuine trouble came to 353 Hibiscus Way, it did not come from the outside. Mm. And I just mentioned that because I that is like a pretty grisly murder that yeah. happened in this town I had never heard of. And I looked it up in the papers and I was like, wow. Yeah. Like that's, I mean, and the fact that this was the wife of an administrator at her daughter's school. Yeah. It was mid-morning at Terralinda High and Marlene was sitting under a tree on campus. She was in the midst of a bad acid trip and it was her first time taking acid. And she decided, I'm going to take twice as many. Oh, come on. Yeah. First of all, look, I enjoyed some hallucinogens <laughs> when I was a teenager. Yeah. But I never understand the people who, like, go to, like, public weird places on acid yeah. or mushrooms, even as someone who's a drug addict. Like, I'll go to school on cocaine, but I would never go to school on a hallucinogen. No. I mean, I have done acid as well, uh, and I did not... I was at someone's home. I did go out because I was in New York City. Oh, my God. So we walked around, but I wasn't doing anything like I had... Like, I wasn't at work or school. That's what I'm saying. Like, you didn't have to be... But, like, even, like, friends... Even, like, friends we know who would, like, oh, they're on acid and they're at a comedy show. It's like, that is the last place I would want to be. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be... I don't... Well, when I did drugs, like, I don't anymore, obviously, but, like... When I did, it was always like Marin County is fucking gorgeous. It's like you could be in any a million nat- nature spots or in someone's house that's like a nice house, right? Just like having a chill time. School seems the worst to me. That's fucking stupid. So she's frying on acid, and she's obviously having a bad trip. Uh, her friends are having a f- whatever. They're having an okay time, and a guy she didn't know knelt down beside her to comfort her. He was a few years older than Marlene, and he was on campus that morning selling weed. Like, he would go to the high school to sell them weed, and his name was Chuck Riley. Chuck was born in 1955 to Joanne and Oscar Riley. He was the oldest of three children. He had a younger brother named Carrie and a younger sister named Michelle. The Rileys lived in San Rafael in Marin County. Oscar worked as a delivery man for a baked goods company, and Joanne worked the night shift at Ross General Hospital as a nurse's aide. Much of Chuck's story is centered around him being overweight growing up. Like, this is something that's constantly mentioned in the book as a source of pain for Chuck and a source of sort of his angst, and it's also mentioned in old newspaper articles as well. Uh, I don't know that 
necessarily his weight would have been centered so much if this story had come out today. Right. I, I don't know that, but I do, but there were a lot of doctors who blamed his, like at the time, uh, before the crimes happened, they blamed his angst and his acting out and his grades failing on him being a fat kid. Well, I mean, it can affect you if you're being bullied or whatever, right? Or feel like you're outcast or not. Right. That was like where it stopped and ended. They yeah. didn't look at other emotional causes. Right. It was like solely him being a fat kid. Right. Where obviously there were probably other things underlying as Right, well. going on. And his weight was actually a product of emotional eating. His father was distant emotionally, and his mother compensated by overfeeding him. The bullying Chuck endured from other students also did not help right. this. Chuck didn't do well in school, and he wound up repeating the third grade. So this is a guy already who, as a child, has incredibly low self-esteem, mm-hmm. and that will come into play, and that is a reoccurring theme in his life, is this guy, his self-esteem is so low. As a kid, he took an interest in guns and hunting and became a really good shooter. He also got his first job, a paper delivery boy, which he would keep until he was 17. Chuck spent his paper delivery money on a BB gun and later a 22 caliber rifle. When Chuck was a... Or maybe it was a pistol. Maybe it was a rifle. He bought a gun. Okay. When Chuck was a teenager... <laughs> I'm sure. sorry. He bought a shooting thing. <laughs> That wasn't a BB gun. He bought something that it shot. It was like next level. It bought, yeah, it was like a next level BB gun. So when Chuck was a teenager and his weight continued to balloon, Chuck's parents put him on a strict 1,000 calorie a day diet and offered him money for every pound that he lost. Now that's what I need. <laughs> right. But as a, as a kid, as a kid that yeah. is demoralizing. <clears throat> right. And like, that's not his choice. Right. You know, it's like, oh, you're going to buy my affection, like you're, or you're going to buy me to lose weight. This reminds me of a story because I had a kid that was like Chuck when I was in second grade, maybe. Uh, and he was on a, put on a diet and everyone in the class knew that he was on a diet, which is so humiliating. But the mom was like, don't give him any of your food at lunch and da 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 da. And then one day the mom came in with the kid and uh, they had to start, he was there with a list and in front of the class, he had to apologize for all the food <gasps> he was stealing from people. He was going into people's lunches and stealing food. And I remember sitting there listening to it and like every time he would say like, and I stole ding dongs from <laughs> Kathy or whatever. And I was like, oh. and then all of a sudden he's like, and I stole potato chips from Desi. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like all of a sudden it was not funny to me anymore. And I was like, I could have had potato chips one day, you bitch. Like. I was like fury, <laughs> but up until that point, I was like laughing at everything. Right, I was like, "Ha ha!" Your food got stolen. Then all of a sudden, I was like, "Wait, Wait a minute! A, this is an outrage!" <laughs> yeah, but that's such a humiliating thing that they made that's him do. Awful. Oh my god, that like, is awful. Like, right, this I mean, is the kid who needs to be talked to. Right, it's like, such a humiliating it's thing. Awful. Um, and I feel like people are still really horrible to... Oh, absolutely. They're still awful to fat people today. I can't imagine how it was when people were even less sensitive, putting kids right. on speed. Right. And like, letting everyone know, like, right. don't feed him. Yeah, <laughs> like, like it's he's a, a cat. barn animal. Like it's a cat, like right. on a diet. Like, yeah, don't feed it. Don't feed the straight They're cat. on a special diet. <laughs> so he was also prescribed diet pills, a.k.a. speed. Right. What was the diet pill, the famous one? Oh, oh, God. Dexatrim or? Well, Dexatrim, 
dexedrine was like the ingredient. But there was like one you could just buy over counter. That Anna Nicole Smith was hawking. Oh yeah, that was one. But I remember just diet pills you could buy like yeah. from the drugstore. But even up in the ones that Anna Nicole Smith was hawking, you could still buy this legal speed over right. the counter. So when Chuck got his driver's license, he had a propensity for driving fast and recklessly, and he ended up racking up several speeding tickets along the way. Chuck did poorly in school and spent more time hanging outside of class than in it, which I relate to. Yeah, of course. His grades plummeted, and he even at this point had taken up shoplifting. So he's also acting out and sort of just, I'm being going down this path. At one point, Chuck's parents put him in therapy. Soon, Chuck became a daily pot smoker. He also began to experiment with other drugs like acid and cocaine, which then led to Chuck dealing pot. And Chuck was the classic drug dealer with low self-esteem and poor social skills who finds his place in the world via dealing drugs. Now he's popular because everyone wants his drugs. Right. And no one really like likes him or would have hung out with him. Yeah, and then you have to end up hanging out with them while you're getting... That's like the worst thing. You're just like... Trying not to look like you're just there for the drugs. This is what kids today don't have to struggle with. <laughs> I know. And it's so unfair because it's like, that is a rite of passage. I used to be at houses for like hours. hours. Just like, give me the fuck. Okay. Like, okay, thanks. Yeah. Give like me the smoking drugs. with them and like whatever. Yeah. Well, they always want to like, want you to smoke them out on the shit that they just sold you. And it's like, dude, I just bought that. Like smoke your right. own shit. Like it's so irritating. And like, they're always these like. I mean, look, look, I hung out at a lot of drug dealers' houses. I even lived in a drug dealer's house. and But just like the kind of people where it's like you don't even want to smoke pot with them or get high with them in any way because they like are such buzzkills Yeah, because they say weird shit. I know. I remember leaving and being like, I don't even want to have fun anymore. Yeah, <laughs> like, you're like, like, I'll just, let's just do this tomorrow. Let's smoke weed tomorrow. Because you're like, like emotionally exhausted. It's exhausting. Yeah. You know? That is such a good thing you don't have to deal with nowadays. Because oh, you can just go into a store. Right. They you don't have to hang out with it. them. They're clerks. We like know in a someone store. who's a weed delivery right. person. Hey. He doesn't want to hang out. He's, gonna, he's listening to this oh, episode right. right now. Yeah. I don't know if he wants us to blow up his job, but he's uh, one of my longest friends. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. But he suddenly had all these friends that were hanging around him because he was like, you know, a drug dealer. And he was moving, like he was like, started pushing a lot of drugs too at this point. Chuck became so successful in his weed dealing endeavors that he became the top dealer at Terra Linda High. Like he was the Terra Linda High drug dealer. That was his turf. That was his turf. Even though like he was a graduate from there, he was like, 19 at this point. Yeah. But he was the guy who would come there. And at that time, he started insisting people call him Rocco. <laughs> <laughs> you can't give yourself a nickname of Rocco. I don't think so. Yeah. So, but he wanted to appear more tough. Well, yeah. It's a- <laughs> Nothing says tough like giving yourself a nickname. <laughs> By 19, Chuck was still living at his parents' house, much to their chagrin. They were like, you need to get a job. They didn't know he had this job. Yeah. I got a job, bitch. <laughs> like, he was making all this money and hoarding it, but he wasn't contributing to rent because he yeah. couldn't be like, here's my rent. Yeah. I got it from selling weed and stuff. Right. But they wanted him to, like, you know, get his act together, get a job. Go to Marin College. <laughs> Yeah, Something. go to the College of Marin. Oh my God, I'm having flashbacks to my own life. Like right. living in Marin County after high school, because like I bummed around Marin County for a year after I graduated high school. 
and my parents were like, what are you doing? You, it was a miracle that you graduated high school, Rachel. Like you need to fucking do something. You can't just like stay here. And like, I quit my job at Pier One Imports after three months because I was like way too high all the time. And I just like, was like, oh, this work sucks. Like, I don't want to, I'm bored. I want to sit in Papa San chairs, not sell them. (laughs) (laughs) Do you even know how many Papa San chairs I had to sell? Like, it was like, I was just like such a little brat. Like, I just, ugh. I was the, I was the worst employee there. Okay. So his whole life was basically what my life looked like at his mm-hmm. age. It was partying and selling weed and Coke. Like he started selling cocaine at this point too, cause he could get a lot more money yeah. doing that. Chuck lost 40 pounds on the cocaine diet and he was still a big boy, but right. he all of a sudden lost like 40 pounds, which like. That's look, a chunk. Yeah. And. I've been on the cocaine diet before and you do lose a lot of weight really fast, but the side effects are not worth it. Let me tell you, like you (laughs) think it's a good diet at the time. It's like the worst diet. Yeah, Don't do it. It's not worth it. But he was feeling more confident about himself. Marlene believed that she had changed after the acid trip. She definitely got way more into drugs and partying and boys, but she really believed that this was all like a direct result of her doing acid and her friend, saying something to her and it changed her in some way. Like she had a little bit of that paranoia too, I think. Chuck was instantly in love with Marlene from the moment that he laid eyes on her, rocking back and forth, freaking out on an acid trip. (laughs) Also a red flag. If a guy falls in love with you while you're in a state of duress, to me that's a red flag. And I don't think Chuck, was like malicious about this. Like I can control her. I just think he was so, he had he never was, had he a found girlfriend. found that appealing because he's like, oh, she needs somebody. She needs yeah. somebody and she likes me. And like he had never had a girlfriend before. He was a virgin. Chuck went back to the high school the next day and found Marlene sitting in the same patch of grass with her friends and he asked her out. She said yes. Chuck and Marlene began dating. Chuck was head over heels, and she was pretty into him too, but he was obviously way more into her. Because she was so into poetry, he would send her his own poems, which were actually just other people's poems or lyrics from liner notes from albums, and he would change the names to Marlene. There's a lady who's sure... So this is um, this is hilarious. He changed the name Caroline to Marlene on a Jefferson Starship song. Oh God! And sent her that. Like I wrote this poem for you. That's so lame. But it was just Starship lyrics. Oh my God! And Marlene told Chuck, "Like I like you, but I don't want a serious relationship." So she continued to fuck other guys. Oh. And he was like, they hadn't even fucked at this point. Right. And she, he was like, Ooh. so he's still a virgin. Yes. Marlene met a guy through Chuck named Travis, who was a bad boy with a criminal record, and he had tattoos, and he gave her a copy of the Satanic Bible, which she got really into. And I mean, that was like checked all of her boxes. Like he was this bad boy. He was, you know, the same age as Chuck. He was older. He was like hotter than Chuck. Mm -hmm. And he gave her a copy of the Satanic Bible. Yeah. She was like, bingo, I got my man. And they started dating. Soon, instead of calling herself Lady Stardust, she began calling herself Freebird. Yes. <laughs> After the Leonard Skinner song. 
Marlene was also, surprise, a pathological liar. Wow. She constantly told grandiose stories about her past and her present. Like, she's like what we, the kind of liar we've talked about before, where they tell these, like, over the top, there's, over the top, there's no way it could be true, but just like brazenly to people, like, oh, yeah, this one time I almost died because I fell through the ice and I was down there for 10 minutes and da-da-da-da. She didn't say that story, but those kind of people right. where, where they, like, tell these stories, like... That their life is just full of these fantastic moments. Right. So she would say things like, oh, you know, uh, when I was in Ecuador, there I had dealings with the drug lords and, and I had a maid who would take me to black masses and right. one time I witnessed a virgin sacrifice and, like... I mean, they're not lies that hurt anybody. They're just to make her look more interesting. Right. And she also said that she had a rich uncle who was going to buy her a car. And she also would just say weird shit sometimes, like, I think to prove to people that she was a witch. You right. know, like one time she told her friend that the necklace her that she was wearing, like her friend was wearing, was uh, haunted and cursed by a sorcerer. And the friend was like, that's weird. But then she did end up getting rid of her necklace. She's like, well, just to be sure (laughs) if it is haunted by a sorcerer. Because like her boyfriend broke up with her the next day or something. And she's like, oh, God. She immediately put two and two together. Yeah. (laughs) This thing, the sorcerer did it. I better bury this in the backyard. But, you know, she was just sort of like, she was known for saying weird shit. Yeah. Even though like she had her group of friends and people liked hanging out with her, she did say some off the wall shit and they were like, okay, Marlene. We all know girls like that or people like that, I yeah. think, at yes. that period. Yeah. Absolutely. According to Travis, quote, she was insecure and always trying to convince people that she was something she wasn't. I never really took her seriously. One night, Chuck took a bunch of pills because he was depressed about Marlene dating this other guy and he nearly killed himself. After he barfed it all up, he wrote this long letter to her, like, I love you. I will be your servant. I will do anything for you. I want to marry you. And at this point, Chuck was convinced, well, maybe Marlene really is a witch because she has all this power over me. Oh. Yeah. And Marlene's parents at this point liked Chuck because he was really good at doing the Eddie Haskell routine. Yeah. Where he was sort of a suck up to the parents and he would like you know, dress nicely around them. And he had a, you know, told them he had a job and, and, and they thought he was like responsible Yeah, and he was just really nice to them too. Like, uh, so he was able to hide his like whole criminal lifestyle from them at this time. And then Marlene began to openly talk about killing her parents. She also speculated out loud to friends about the ways in which she could kill her parents. Like she would mull over like, well, I could, you know, do this and I could poison them or I could shoot them or like she would just have these conversations in front of her friends, like ways to kill her parents. And her friends were like, oh, Marlene, like, yeah, Yeah. her parents are strict or her mom sucks, but it's just Marlene telling Marlene stories. So yeah, no one took it seriously because she was already had this history of saying weird shit to people. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Marlene started seeing another guy she met through Chuck named Ron. Ron went as far as to telling Marlene that he would help Marlene with the killing of her parents. He said that he had a rifle and they discussed how to kill her parents, but he ended up backing out. He didn't think she was serious. And also he just didn't want to kill Marlene's dad. He's like, yeah, your mom's a bitch, but your dad's kind of cool. Marlene became particularly enraged at her parents over Christmas when she racked up hundreds of dollars of phone bills because she had been making long-distance calls to South America to talk to her old friends. Her parents yelled at her and took her phone privileges away. Okay, that's a fair punishment. That's like a very normal punishment. Right. And also, that's like kind of like not an abnormal teen thing to do in those days either. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've definitely... Another thing kids don't have to fucking deal with today. There are definitely times where my parents were like, what is this phone bill? Right. And now it's basically unlimited. It costs money. There's no long distance, really. Right. I mean, I guess there might still be. I don't know. Or if you called the party hotline at your house or something, like you would get in so much trouble because it costs so much money. But obviously Marlene was doing a lot more than just making long distance phone calls. It was just a long, one thing in a long list of shit she was doing. With Marlene's failing grades and concerns among her teachers, tensions were at an all-time high in the Olive household, and the screaming matches between Marlene and her mom turned violent. A friend said that she saw Naomi Olive hurl a hot iron at Marlene once. Even Marlene and her dad started fighting at this point, so suddenly dad's not in her corner anymore. He's like, you know what? You are a little shit. Yeah. And... Your mom's a bitch too, but that doesn't mean you are. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Exactly. Like, you need to learn how to live with your mom. Yeah. You need to learn how to coexist. Well, Chuck finally lost his virginity to Marlene, so he's on cloud nine. You know, mm-hmm. he's still fawning over her like a puppy dog. Police would later find a shoebox full of room keys that Chuck had taken as mementos from every motel that he and Marlene had had sex at. Aww. I mean, he. <laughs> That's kind of cute. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> he loved her so much. Oh, my God. Soon, Marlene began telling Chuck of her desire to murder her parents. And Marlene had this control over Chuck. At one point, they spent three weeks on a shoplifting spree just because Marlene felt like it. She insisted. She's like, I feel like shoplifting and like doing a big haul. You're right. going to help me do it. Wow. He's like, okay. So they ended up stealing over $6,000 worth of clothes and jewelry wow. in the span of three weeks. That's a lot. Yeah. Especially in Back 70s. Then, yeah. From various stores around Marin County. And Marlene was turned on by the power that she had over Chuck. Yeah. And so she begins just like engaging in S&M sex acts with him. Like she's like, oh, I have power over him. I what would she do? Oh. <laughs> I, it was like a whole chapter of stuff. This is... Oh, really? Just buckle up for okay. some of this. Okay. According to Chuck, she liked to masturbate with a hunting knife. And he had to tape up the blade because he was afraid she was going to, like, stick it in herself. Wow. Yeah. I mean... So she wasn't doing the handle only. I I guess not. I Uh guess she was playing... I mean, that's pretty sweet. (laughs) That he taped it up for her. She also was really into sticking the barrel of his twenty-two caliber pistol inside of her pussy. Wow. And Chuck would always be like, wait, it's not loaded. Or wait, it's loaded. I need to take the bullets out. She'd be like, leave them in, you know? Damn. He was afraid that she was going to shoot her pussy off. I mean, no wonder he was into her. (laughs) It's a pretty advanced move for a 16-year-old. I think so. Are you looking them up? There's only two pictures of them. I mean, she looks like that type of girl, quite honestly. (laughs) She looks like she's up to no good. She's got like... Stringy hair parted down the middle, and she just has a very sour expression. Marlene had all kinds of different fantasies that she wanted Chuck to help her participate in, like group sex, and she had fantasies about him pimping her out. She was really into uh, him taking naked photos of her. She was like, oh, we're going to send these to Penthouse, and I'm going to be in Penthouse. I like that she doesn't even go for Playboy. No, she's like... (laughs) She's like, I recognize I'm not a Playboy model. Yeah, I want to be spreading my pussy. (laughs) I want to have my two fingers holding my lips open. (laughs) (laughs) That's the most. That's the classic classic Penthouse. penthouse. It's like so predictable. Every... No matter what the scenario is, it's the two fingers. The two fingers, as if anyone has ever done that in real life. <laughs> like, during a sex right. act? Like, have you ever spread it? I mean, it's just like... Oh, with your two little fingers. Right. It's like an upside-down peace sign. It is. <laughs> Far out, man. It's so gross. So, in fact, a picture of Chuck eating Marlene's pussy on the hood of his car was actually entered into evidence at the trial. That is amazing. <laughs> Can you even imagine? I I feel like I want that entered into my trial, even if it didn't happen regarding the case. Sir, Your Honor. Your Honor, we'd like to enter some evidence. Uh, You're the defense. Why are you entering this into evidence? Because I want the, I would like the the story. Too good, Your Honor. (laughs) And the best thing about the hood of Chuck's car was that he had had to have it replaced. So he replaced it with like a wood, like plywood. Like it was like. Not like a metal hood right. of the car. Like it was like you just put some wood there. Yeah, it was like Frankenstein. Oh my god. So it was like this bunk. So that was car. the hood she was yes. on? Yes. It wasn't like a fancy Wait, had, who took the picture? I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I don't know. A friend. Cause like they or would... maybe they set up something and he had the squeezy thing oh. in his hand. <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. And the powder came out. No, but 
but I feel like you could take photos that way in the old, even in the seventies. Like, I don't know. I think they got someone to do it because they would recruit other people to have right. group sex with while they're them. over there buying drugs. Hey, can you t- <laughs> can you take a picture of me uh, eating my girlfriend's pussy on the hood of my car? Of course, I'm like, well, you know, at least he ate pussy. <laughs> He may be a horrible person right. in other ways, At least but that's a, good, that. that's a good point. I yeah. mean, that's yeah. one point for Points him. were made. There's a pro. <laughs> Put that in the pro column. <laughs> Marlene also had fantastical lies that she would tell Chuck, like that in a past life she was a 17th century witch in Salem and that Chuck in his past life was the only townsperson who defended her. Oh, boy. <laughs> so... Marlene would also tell Chuck that she was in a coven of Marin County witches. Not true. But she would tell him, yeah, I'm in this coven. And the coven meets at China Camp. And for those of you who don't know what China Camp is, it's a state park in the San Rafael area of Marin. It was once home to the Miwok Indians. And later in the 1800s, it got its name because it became a Chinese settlement when Chinese immigrants were building the railroad. It's also a place I've gotten drunk at many times as a kid. Um, Yeah, so it's this this park, basically. So she was telling Chuck that she was going there for her coven meetings. In March of 1975, Marlene and Chuck were arrested for their shoplifting spree. Chuck was taken to jail, and Marlene was taken to juvie. Marlene's probation officer was concerned about how Marlene's home life was going down. And so she recommended to her parents that she stay in the hall for a while till she cooled off and sort of like stewed and like really got the punishment. Right. You know what I mean? Like this is what we recommend. But after five days, Jim and Naomi wanted their daughter to come back home and they swore up and down, we're all going to work to live harmoniously as a family. And Marlene's like, I swear I'll be good. Right. You know, famous last words. Marlene's PO requested that she be assigned a new PO because she had too many other kids that she was working with at this point. And this particular case she decided was going to require a lot more attention than she had time for. She told the director of the juvenile hall that quote, There's going to be trouble with this one. Marlene is angry at her parents, legitimately so. She has a disturbed mother, an ineffective father unable to make decisions, a boyfriend her parents disapprove of strongly. She's acting out. It's a classic blow-up situation. So yeah, at this point, Marlene's parents were like, oh, Chuck got you into shot. You got arrested with Chuck. Right, so now they're kind of blaming him. Now they hate Chuck and they putting the blame on him, this older guy who was taking advantage of this young girl. Even though Marlene was a troublemaker, they really wanted to believe that Chuck was responsible. And they also, there was a history of Marlene's parents blaming Marlene's friends for her acting out. Like they still were like punished her for acting out, but they really were like, oh, it's because we uprooted her and it's because she fell in with this crowd and it's the friends who are bad influencers. They're looking for excuses. She doesn't have agency. Yeah. Chuck Riley was released from jail after one night, but his trial was set for July. He was not allowed to have any contact with Marlene Olive, but he went over to Marlene's house anyway the next day, <laughs> like as soon as he got out, yeah. you know? And as soon as his car pulled up, Jim Olive ran outside and yelled at him, telling that if he ever contacted his daughter again, he would regret it. Whoa. So... Life at the Olive home did not improve. Surprise, surprise. In fact, it was worse than ever. Naomi and Marlene's fights were so bad that even her dad refused 
to even hear Marlene's side of the story anymore. He's like, no, I've had enough of you. You respect your mother. Always took the wife's side at this point. And Marlene continued acting out and getting into trouble. Eventually, her dad barred her from even leaving the house. She lost all telephone privileges, too. And on top of that, her mother had threatened to send her back to juvie. In the fall, Marlene was told that she would be going to a boarding school, which she was obviously not okay with. On the morning of July 25th, 1975, Chuck called Marlene, and after a particularly awful fight with her mom, Marlene said to Chuck, get your gun. We've got to kill that bitch today. And Chuck was like, well, I don't have my gun. It's at Roger's house, and I can't use my car right now. Chuck was also tripping on acid. Okay. (laughs) He had taken some acid (laughs) that morning when he called her. But Marlene was like, if you don't do it, I'll never talk to you again. No more hotel keys for you. (laughs) (laughs) No more eating my pussy on the hood of your car. So, of course, Chuck was like, okay. 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 Roger. Roger. (laughs) That's what happened. So Chuck had, since he didn't have his car, I think it was like not working or broken down or something. He had to hitchhike to this guy Roger's house to get his gun back from him. Now, he had given... Imagine picking up a hitchhiker with a gun. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, he didn't have the gun on him yet. No, but didn't he have to hitchhike back? I'll tell you how he got back. But yeah, that would be bad. So he gets to Roger's house, and he had originally given Roger the gun as collateral for a loan that he owed him. Okay. And at this point, Chuck was getting really sloppy. Like, he had been getting really sloppy with his drug dealing. Like, he had owed people money. Okay. He just... He was cutting it with stuff. Like he wasn't, yeah. he wasn't being the kind of drug dealer that we knew his potential was. Yes. He was slipping. And so he owed people money. And so he'd given this gun as collateral, but he was able to convince Roger to give him the gun with the promise that he had a buyer who was offering him a lot of money for it. Okay. But there were no bullets in the gun. So Chuck had to recruit his friend Mike to buy them for him because he couldn't buy his own because he was had just been arrested. Right. He had a record. According to a statement made by Nancy Dillon, a mutual friend of Chuck and Marlene's, she talked to Marlene on the phone that day, and Marlene said that she was going to off her parents, but Nancy did not believe her or take it seriously. She's like, oh, she's just pissed off. Right. While her dad was out, Marlene emptied a bunch of capsules of Darvon into her mother's soup, but her mom complained of the taste, so she was like, take this away. But she did take some of it. So Marlene was like, well, maybe it'll put her into a deep nap. Okay. And I can finish the job later. Jim returned to the Olive House at noon to take a nap. Marlene retrieved a claw hammer and stood over her sleeping dad's body, but she couldn't go through with it. Meanwhile, at Mike's house, Chuck, Nancy, and Mike were sitting around smoking and drinking beers and talking about the Yes concert that they all had plans to go to the following (laughs) week. (laughs) There were a lot of amazing 70s details in this story. Okay. Chuck repeatedly got up to exchange phone calls with Marlene. At 1.30, Chuck left Mike's house and he told his two friends that he was going to get Marlene, that they would be back later so they could all go to the beach. When Chuck showed up at the Olive House, Marlene waved him away before he could get to the door. Her dad was awake now, and him and Marlene had plans to go to the mall. So Chuck basically hid in a bush by the house while he's frying on acid still. I like that she's like, let's go to the mall with her dad like that day. Like, I don't know what... 
like they had some kind of a daughter dad appointment that they had to do that okay. day. And like, so she's like, fuck, like I can't, like I got to go right. and then we'll do this later. Got it. So Chuck's like hiding in the bushes, you know, to enter the house with, while the mom's passed out. And t- okay. so he's waiting for them to leave in the car. So when the coast was clear, Chuck entered the house through the front door. He spotted the hammer that Marlene had leaned up against the wall next to the door. He entered Naomi's bedroom to find her asleep from the drugs that she had unknowingly ingested earlier. And that's when Chuck struck the first blow into her face with the hammer. This is This is gross, so just okay. be prepared. Then he hit her repeatedly. One of the blows was so hard that the hammer lodged deeply into her skull and Chuck had to yank it out forcefully, leaving a golf ball-sized hole in her head. But Naomi wasn't even dead yet. A panicked Chuck ran to the kitchen to get a steak knife and he plunged it into Naomi's chest. But she was still alive. Next, he attempted to suffocate her with a pillow. And that's when he heard the car in the driveway. (sighs) It was Jim and Marlene. Their trip to the mall was unexpectedly canceled or cut short, and this is just after 2 o'clock now. Jim entered the house before his daughter, and he saw Chuck and Naomi covered in blood, and Naomi was barely clinging to life. Jim charged at Chuck, and he was like, I'm going to fucking kill you, you bastard. What'd you do? Yeah. And then that's when Chuck fired four rounds into Jim's chest, killing him. Whoa. Marlene comforted her disturbed boyfriend. Then she gave him uh, a beer and some Valium, and then they fucked. Then Marlene and Chuck went over to Mike's house to hang out with him and Nancy. And while they were there, Marlene pretended to call her dad to let him know where she was. She's like, oh, I'm going to call my dad and and tell him. And they're like, aren't your parents like, don't they have you grounded right now? Like, what's going on? She's like, oh, they're they're cool now. They're cool again. So they just were like, okay, whatever. In the evening, Marlene and Chuck returned to the Olive Home where the bodies of Jim and Naomi still were. But they didn't have any plans yet on how exactly they were going to dispose of the bodies, so they went to a drive-in movie. After the movie, they picked up a can of gas and returned to the Olive House. They wrapped the bodies of Jim and Naomi in blankets, put them into her parents' green Vegas station wagon, and drove to China Camp where they incinerated the bodies in a barbecue pit. Early the next morning, Chuck returned to China Camp to check that the bodies had been fully incinerated. They were still smoking and not destroyed enough, so he poured more gas on the remains and put branches over it and lit them on fire again. Then he went to 7-Eleven, where he got a bottle of 7-Up and a box of chocolate donuts, which he scarfed down on the drive home. (laughs) I mean, that's emotional eating. (laughs) I related to that. Me too. Also, he's like basically probably still in the residual acid trip. Totally. I mean, this is an insane thing to be going through. Can you imagine frying on acid? Like, we just talked about frying on acid at school. This is the worst case scenario I mean, to be yeah. frying on acid. I'd rather do school than <laughs> Yes. Than murdering someone with a claw hammer uh, and incinerating bodies. And then you're like, oh, God. And you're driving the car of I mean, that disease. would be like me. I'd just be like, I'm eating a whole pizza right now. <laughs> I don't yeah, care. fuck it. Well, you know, yeah. I'm probably not going to have a pizza for a long time. Right. So Marlene ended up spilling that her parents were gone to her friend Leslie one night. And Leslie was like, what do you mean gone? And she's like, well, Chuck killed my parents. And if you tell anyone, he's going to, he's going to kill me and you. And she's like crying and stuff. And Leslie's like, holy shit, what? Then Marlene proceeded to tell one of her other friends, Deanna, 
And Marlene even went as far as to be like, hey, so now that I told you all that, do you mind if you help me clean up the rest of the house? Like, I was wondering if you could help me. There's like, still it's some- like there is something worse than asking someone to drive you to the airport. <laughs> <laughs> like, can you imagine? It's like, uh, what am I getting out of this? Right. It is way worse. Yeah. Can you help me move? AKA like, yeah, yeah, that's, okay. can you help me move the bodies? <laughs> So she's like, I need to get rid of all the fingerprints and the remaining blood stains. And she said yes. What? She helped her. I mean, I guess uh. like teenagers, you're like, okay, I got it. You know, like you don't even realize the gravity maybe of it. Right. Where it's like, you're too, so you're so worried about being a good friend at that age. Yeah. Right. Totally. Like, oh, I don't want to be. You can trust me. <laughs> Totally. And it's like, she doesn't realize that what she's doing is a crime. Yes. Like, she's like, okay, I'm just helping my friend. She's in a pickle. She's really upset. Yeah. She's (laughs) she's in a really tough spot right now. She's been stressed. So Chuck and Marlene actually ended up going to the Yes concert, by the way. Oh. Marlene did not have a good time. Look, just because your parents got murdered doesn't mean you're not going to go to a prog rock (laughs) concert. (laughs) <laughs> right? And Marlene didn't have a good time. She mm. was like thinking about her, that she murdered her parents yeah. the whole time or they murdered the parents. Well, you know what? Sorry. That's what you get. Yeah. You can't Sorry, enjoy. your concert was ruined. You don't get to enjoy the Yes concert. So after about a week of Jim Olive being missing from work, his business partner became really concerned and he called the police. So the police went to the Olive household to question Marlene. Marlene said she didn't know where her parents were, but that she knew they were dead. She, <laughs> not, the, not the most clever. She's honestly the worst, like, criminal ever. Yeah. Like, and you're about to see why. She's like, I, I don't know where they are, but they're dead. And then they're like, well, we better take you into custody. Yeah. Because you're a minor and your parents are missing. Yeah. And we're going to ask you some questions. So Marlene told the police a bunch of different conflicting stories. Like, for example, she said that her dad killed her mom. And then she also said, oh, no, both of them were killed by the Hells Angels. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, this is really suspect. Yeah. Soon after, police received an anonymous tip about burning bodies at China Camp. At the site, police found the scarce remnants of Jim and Naomi Olive. They found bone fragments. They found a piece of cloth. They found gold teeth fillings. Who reported this? It was an anonymous tip. It so was, they they knew that... How did they know they were bodies? Because it was an anonymous tip reported that they were burning bodies. I know, but how did that tipper know that they those were bodies that were burning? Well, Marlene was telling people. Oh. So it could have oh, been. Oh, so they might not have actually seen it. It might have just been someone who heard Marlene the story. Marlene told the whole story to two different people. Okay. That weren't. I, I, was th- I thought it was just like an anonymous person who was like, hey, why are these bodies burning here? <laughs> right, right. But it was probably someone just saying, go it, check that out. Right. Right. But also, I did read something that. Chuck was paranoid that someone had been watching him while he went back oh, to the site. Right, right, right. And they checked it out when he left. Got like, it. so it was either a friend or it was either someone who saw someone him. who actually spotted Chuck, like going right. back to the site in the morning. So Chuck Riley was also arrested, and he initially confessed to the premeditated murder that he carried out. However, he later recanted about the murder of Naomi, saying that it was actually Marlene who struck her mother with the hammer. And police were actually never able to determine definitively if it was Chuck or Na- or Marlene who had killed the mom. Right. But Chuck definitely killed the dad with, with the gun. With the gun. 
Marlene told police that it was all Chuck's doing and that she had nothing to do with any of it. So she instantly turns on him when she realizes that, okay, we're busted. Right. Chuck's trial began October of 1975. The defense argued that Chuck was under mind control of Marlene and that he had basically become hypnotized by her. The murders were carried out under her command. But the judge was like, "Mm, no, I reject that. And Chuck was sentenced to death by gas chamber. Whoa. Now, he got lucky because in 1976, it was Uh, ruled unconstitutional. So his sentence was commuted, and he got life in prison. After several appeals and parole hearings, Chuck still remains in prison today. He almost got out in, like, 2015, like, the parole hearing. Because he, like, changed his ways. I mean... Like, yeah. It was like, oh, he's not a threat. Like, he basically was, like... The parole board was going to let him out, but then Governor Jerry Brown was like, no, you never even, you still haven't even acknowledged the full crime. Oh, so he hasn't really, like... He still claims that Marlene killed Naomi. Marlene's trial was in juvenile court, and that happened a little later. And representing her, actually, was famed San Francisco defense attorney Terrence Hallinan. Marlene was charged with aiding and covering up the murder of her parents, and she was sentenced to four to six years at the California Youth Authority in Ventura. Damn. Marlene was released from California Youth Authority when she was 21, but her criminal behavior continued into adulthood. She went back to prison several times as an adult for forgery and counterfeiting. This is, I mean, her story continues on. Right. Like... She got really into check forging and she passed a lot of bad checks. And I think she was actually part of like a big check forging ring right. at one point, either in New York or in LA, and they all got busted and she was part of it. She never straightened up and flew right. Like right. she always, like she continued that. I can't believe she didn't get more prison time. Was it because she was a minor? Like, how Uh, old was she? She was 16. Okay. And it was because she was a minor and because it was like, oh, she didn't murder the mom. Right. She just aided and abetted. It was this Chuck Riley guy. Right. Yeah. uh, That's that. That's wild. Yeah. It's a wild story. I mean, it's crazy. I just have been wanting to do this story for a while because it's Marin County. There's definitely, uh, I'll probably do a series of Marin County crimes on this because it's like, yeah. I mean, it's so easy for me to talk about it and to like paint a better picture for you guys about what life is like and was like there because I grew up there. It's a very interesting place it's a, with a lot of interesting history. Yes, especially the 70s, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. What was going on. Right. And I'm still trying to get my dad to like give me an interview so he can tell me some crazy ass stories about the 60s and 70s, which he <laughs> told to Desi once. <laughs> He told Desi some stories uh, at dinner one night, and I was mortified beyond belief. That was a fun night. That was a fun night. Oh, my God. Okay. Okay. All right. That's it. Bye. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers Stay Clean technology. Making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boy's easy opening, smooth pouring container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save big-